0: hi there welcome to history in retrograde this is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past i'm your co-host chandler o'quinn and joining me live via satellite is my mom
1: hi mom hi chandler how are you
0: i'm doing very well (laughs) are you ready to begin another grand experiment of course
1: i'm always ready let's go
0: All right, let's give it a whirl.
1: Let's do. And I want to say hello, everybody. Welcome to spring. It's so pretty. Well, I live in South Texas, so it's kind of, I have to say, it's kind of pretty all year. Most of the time, unless we have a weird freeze. But um, spring is happening. The birds are chirping. The flowers are blooming. It should be very joyful out there for all of you.
0: Uh, yep, it is uh, spring uh, here in Texas. There are blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes everywhere. Uh, I hope that uh, wherever uh, you find yourself that you're having a uh, lovely spring and I guess for any of those who are listening on the other side of the hemisphere, enjoy your autumn. <laughs> um, so uh, welcome to everyone. Uh, for those of you, if this is your first episode, welcome. Uh, we have quite the party going on over here. Uh, we, uh, The way that this show works is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. Uh, She will then do her best to give a blind reading of that chart, telling us what she can about the person's uh, motivations, personality, uh, characteristics, Uh, and then I will reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, we'll come together at the end and discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. Uh, so, without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. Uh, this is a male. There we go. Uh, born on the fifth. Uh huh. Of April. Okay. 1856.
1: Ooh. Okay. <gasps> do we have a time?
0: 2:15 p.m.
1: What? That's so good. I love it when we have a time. 215. Uh-huh. <gasps> That's very exciting. Where in the world? Uh
0: in the United States.
1: Mhm. In the town.
0: So try <laughs> Rocky Mount, Virginia.
1: Rocky Mount. Here. This one? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. <laughs> okay. All right, okay, let's go in here real quick and just do a quick check. Um, let's just see what this looks like in Placidus houses. Okay, this looks pretty, it's pretty even out. We have Leo. Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, and Cancer. All right, that's all good. No interceptions here. All right, now go and do them equal just because all right so this person oh my goodness look at this quadrant here do you see all that Uh (laughs) okay so this person has leo rising all right and we're just going to go through all of the planets oh my goodness this is a leo rising with sun in aries and moon in aries holy cow Mercury in Pisces, Venus in Pisces, Mars in Libra, Jupiter in Pisces, Saturn in Gemini, Uranus in Taurus, Neptune in Pisces, Pluto in Taurus, North Node in Aries, Chiron in Aquarius. This person is a lot of fire and water. Okay. (laughs) So, um, hmm. Where do I want to start? I think I just want to start with the Leo rising. Okay. So Leo rising is going to be a person who does not just arrive. They make an entrance. Uh People will know that they are there. They can't help it. They have very electric personalities and they are um very uh, gregarious and and can be very charming and uh a lot of times they describe people who have leo rising as having a mane of hair Um, sometimes they just have unusual hair or unique hairstyles. They also tend to have cat eyes. Their eyes are a little bit, um, feline-ish. So there's that. And this person has Leo rising at 25 degrees, which puts a lot of their first house cusp in Virgo. Okay. Their first house, not their first house cusp because that's Leo, but Virgo is different so having this virgo in the first house also um for me I would kind of uh look at both and a virgo is going to be um, different than that a virgo can be very um, smart and chatty because Mercury rules Virgo. So they have quite a lot of information to offer. Um, they can also hold court because they will have a lot of information to share a lot of data and it tends to not be superficial data. They can have real information about topics, you know, um, not just conversational, but you know, they've, they've kind of, gone down that rabbit hole, not as much as a Sagittarius would, but definitely, uh, in, in, in the data department, cause the Sagittarius would be more about the adventure, the, um, other aspects, but okay. So this is also a possibility for this person, especially considering that it's an 1800s, um, chart and, and, and it is, there is a possibility that the birth time is off, but I do love a birth time. Um, the second house cusp is Virgo, even though most of the Virgo is in the first house, but we're working with an equal house system right now. So second house cusp is Virgo. So having Virgo on your second house cusp, if it isn't afflicted, they should be very frugal with their, um, money and finances, they should be rather, um, conservative with the things that they like and also how they love. Uh, Virgos can be, uh, conservative with their emotions and, um, they can, uh, be very interested in, in, in classic things um, so I don't know how that fits in with this person, but, um, they do have Mars in Libra in their second house. Now that changes the ball game, you know, because now you have Mars and Libra in your second house and Libra is ruled by Venus. So now, where we have this somewhat conservative ideal of values and, and hardworking and money, you have this lovely, beautiful Libra, Mars and Libra. Um, So this man would have liked very, um, not necessarily like opulent things like a fire sign would like, but more, um, I guess it goes along with the, with the Virgo and, And, um, the, uh, uh, Libra and the, and the, and the lovely, lovely is the word I want to use. Lovely things. And, um, probably, uh, a very, uh, romantic way of addressing love. Um, because the Mars would be how he addresses love, you know? Um, then the third house cusp is Libra but most of that house is uh scorpio the 4th house cusp is scorpio but most of that house is sagittarius The fifth house cusp is Sagittarius. Most of that is Capricorn. There are no planets in those houses, but, um, if we, uh, if I don't get enough information from the planets in the houses where they are, we can come back and address these as far as, you know, um, Scorpio ruling, um, or Scorpio being the main point in the third house, Sag in the fourth, Capricorn in the fifth, we do have Chiron at four degrees, Aquarius falling in the sixth house. Hmm. If this person's um, birth time is correct, there is something with regard to work and groups of people, which is the Aquarius part, right? And healing, because Chiron is the wounded healer, understanding from your pain Uh, either in the early part of this life or in a past life, you heal people. Um, and this is groups of people and it has something to do with their work because it's the sixth house. Um, then in the seventh house, uh, which is the seventh house cusp is Aquarius, but there's a lot of Pisces in that seventh house. We have... Wow, we have Venus conjunct Neptune by degree at 18 degrees in Pisces, conjunct Jupiter in Pisces, conjunct Mercury in Pisces, but the Mercury falls in the eighth house. So that is a lot of Pisces. Um, And in the seventh house, Neptune conjunct Venus in... Pisces conjunct by degree Jupiter and Mercury hmm, this person should have been like a romantic poet um <laughs> or a songwriter or there's a lot of romance here this is a lot of imagination and um fantasy and uh illusion, all those Pisces artistic things. That's a lot of art, but then (laughs) hold on. There's more, uh, this person has sun, uh, at 16 degrees Aries moon conjunct North node at 24 degrees Aries. In the eighth house, which is the house of legacy and inheritance and other people's money and hidden things and taboo things and um, uh, secrets and your inner self, the part that only you know about, the thoughts that only you think. In the eighth house, and they have their north node there in Aries, conjunct moon. This is a lot of something having to do with women and the mother and warrior and Martian things. And, um, that's very interesting. Uh, this is a person who does not or shouldn't have with a uh, sun conjunct moon conjunct North node in Aries, if they're going with their North node, because if they were going with their South node, it would be in Libra and they would be not as, not as prone to um, conquering things like literally um, setting goals and reaching them. Um And this person has Pluto in Taurus in the ninth house and Uranus in Taurus in the ninth house and Uranus conjunct our midhaven in Taurus by degree. The Pluto is um, not by degree, but it's all in Taurus in the ninth house. So Ah, uh, regarding things like philosophy and dogma and, um, travel and, um, higher education, ah, uh, conceptual thoughts. This person having Uranus, uh, conjunct Pluto and their midhaven in Taurus in the ninth house, There should have been some kind of philosophical, dogmatic element to this person that would be, uh, that they would be very stubborn about. Whatever their philosophies are, they're very stubborn about them. Um, That's very interesting. They are, they, they then, is any of this making any sense? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Then their 10th house cusp is Taurus, but most of that house is Gemini, and they have Saturn in Gemini in the 10th house. That's something about lessons in communication as as the career. Um, A lot of times when you see Saturn conjunct, Um, Gemini, uh, there is some, uh, essence of, um, uh, communication over the airwaves or a writer or somehow their lesson is communication and they, they must communicate or they have to learn to communicate, um on a, on kind of a grand scale, maybe, maybe their communication, their lessons in communication were healing the people because they have, uh, you know, their 10th house is um their, their Saturn is trining their Chiron, not by degree, but by, you know, Gemini trines Aquarius. So then their 11th house is Gemini. The cusp is Gemini, but most of that is, Cancer, So there would have been kind of a communication with the people uh, and also some sort of nurturing through that communication. And then their 12th house cusp is Cancer, but it's mostly Leo in there. So somehow karma with leading, karma with Leo things. Uh, a lot of times 12th house leo in your 12th house is is carnal with being a leader um do you have any questions
0: what is his relationship to education
1: well i would think that he had a very interesting relationship with education because this uranus uh conjunct pluto in taurus by degree by sign not by degree uranus is either going to be um a unique way of doing something a new way a way that hasn't been done before or uh because uranus rules aquarius and that is intellectual things and technology so there could have been um maybe some interest in technology maybe a unique way of educating people um and there with pluto conjunct uranus because uranus is flashes of things like lightning bolts you know out of the blue things happening in that house which is travel and 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 education it's all the things that are um ruled by jupiter and and sagittarius Um, You have this lightning bolt situation with the Uranus, right? And then you also have this death and rebirth and power of the Pluto. So that's pretty powerful right there in having their midhaven also fall in the ninth house. And stubborn because it's Taurus.
0: What role would religion play in his life?
1: Again, the same thing. This comes to Ninth House. Um, There's the Midhaven here. But this situation could be very unique because Uranus is there, all right? Uranus is unique. It makes things different. It makes things not the norm. In fact, not even want to be the norm, right? But there's power here. So whatever this person is... Whatever their relationship with religion is, it's different and it's powerful.
0: Would this person be more idealistic or pragmatic?
1: The Leo rising is going to make them a little more idealistic. This Chiron in Aquarius is going to give them this unique idealistic way also all of this pisces is going to give them a more i would i would say more idealistic that's my thought on this because there's an awful lot going on here that is not um pragmatic (laughs) (laughs) because this this uh, an aries is gonna see something and go get it and all this pisces is going to be it imagining it all and 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 somehow this imagination is gonna go into you know their life somehow so yeah i mean they have this this grounding them this um pluto and <laughs> conjunct uranus you know uh it could be grounding them but i don't if it's enough to hold the reins on all this stuff you know
0: what is his relationship to work
1: um if this is correct and this is his time of birth uh then he has a very interesting relationship to work because um his sixth house most of it is Aquarius it is the cusp of his sixth house I mean the um Yeah, the cusp of his sixth house is in Capricorn. So he could be somehow very serious about his work healing people, if that makes any sense at all. Because this Chiron he, if he's doing it right, he is healing groups of people because he has Chiron in Aquarius. And I have yet to see anybody not, I've never, I can't seem to get away from my Chiron. It makes me do what I'm supposed to do. I don't have a choice. It just puts people in my path that I think They're not part of this process with my Chiron. And, and somehow they always end up being a part of my process, whether that's me or it's them or it's the universe. I don't know, but Chiron is one that you can't really get away from where you could go instead of following your North node, you could just really stay in this South node place and, you know, stay very, you know, attached to your South node. And and you might be able to get away with it and then have to come back and do it again, I guess, if that's the philosophy. But I haven't seen anybody be able to get away from that Chiron.
0: How do people see him?
1: <laughs> I think people see him as a stubborn dreamer. Like this person. Uh They really go after their dreams with everything they've got. At least that's what I think. Maybe I'm, you know, completely wrong. But, And I think that with this Leo rising, if this is the correct birth time, uh, they would probably join up with him and go too. Like he's probably, I mean, is this making sense? Because if it's not, we might have the wrong birth time.
0: No, it's making sense. Okay,
1: because it seems like this guy can tell people we need to go to the top of the mountain because there are rabbits the size of dinosaurs there and they're magic. And we can go and get them to give us gifts. And people are like, cool, let's go. And then somehow, I don't know, they get to the top of the mountain and find the rabbits. I don't know. I mean, all this what? Pisces just makes him so, you know, creative and inventive and Jupiter's there, right? So he has Mercury conjunct Jupiter, conjunct Neptune, conjunct Venus. He can tell a story and build a, an imagination towards something. And then he has this Aries and this Taurus to go to go get it you know very interesting person i hope it's not a bad guy cuz i think he's kind of cool
0: what is his relationship to community and country
1: well this he has nothing in his fourth house if this is his correct birth time um his fourth house cusp is scorpio Uh, But most of his fourth house, by me doing equal house system, is in Sagittarius. Um, I think he could be very protective of his country with this Scorpio there. Unless he's a bad guy. And then he would be the opposite. (laughs) But also, Sagittarians can be very loyal, you know, and so can Scorpio. So it's possible that if he's a good guy, he's very loyal.
0: How would he respond to injustice in the world?
1: He would probably write a show about it. <laughs> no, he's got all of this creative stuff. So, I mean, this, this, um, he has Mars and Libra, which, is the scales you know, so his Mars would want this to be set right that's what you know good libras do they they adjust the scales, they make sure it's right, so he's got that going for him very much about making things right, but he's got this Chiron in Aquarius, which means he has to heal the people, and he's got all of this Pisces giving him the imaginative ability to heal the people or I don't know too, though, because Pisces can be Pisces can be pretty fierce. Uh, That's what people don't, they get all into the dreaminess of the Pisces, but they don't realize how light fish, dark fish, they can be pretty fierce. But uh, again, then we have, I mean, we have aspects that can somehow make him a real creative um, warrior a very creative warrior and stubborn and can talk
0: a blue streak.
1: I hope I know who this is.
0: (laughs) What profession would he go into?
1: Well, I mean, North Node and Aries, the simple answer is the military. All right. That's the simple answer because your North Node is what you're supposed to be doing um the 10th house is the the cusp of the 10th house is Taurus and then Saturn in the 10th house in Gemini is somehow dealing with communications um so i think this is a very creative communicator possibly over the airwaves <laughs> i'm
0: very scared
1: cuz i'm really putting myself out here with this one
0: <laughs> is this uh do you think this person would be timid or confident
1: i don't think this person would be timid uh leo rising pretty much gives you more confidence than anyone should ever have People who have Leo rising will walk into any place and start telling people what to do. <laughs> so if his time of birth is correct, he should be pretty brazen. But he does have all this, but and also his sun and his moon and his north node are in Aries, which also is going to make him very,
2: <laughs>
1: you know, uh. They're pretty brazen.
0: There are there any other uh, final first impressions that you get from the chart?
1: Well, I'm very interested in knowing who it is. Because uh, they have a lot of things in their chart that I hope are all the good side of all of these aspects, you know. And he's not, you know, a total... Uh, um you know, dictator because he has Chiron in Aquarius and he's all about the totalitarianism because he's got that Aries. I mean, he could go, it could be bad. It could be really bad if this was a bad guy. Cause man, a lot could happen with this fella, but, um, no, I think I'm just ready for you. to <laughs> Tell me what it is. And I hope I know. And I hope I'm close.
0: Well, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. <laughs> okay. First thing he said is that he could make an entrance. Mm-hmm. He has an electric personality, he is gregarious and charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might have a mane, some sort of unique hair, possibly even cat eyes. Mm-hmm. He would be smart and mm-hmm. chatty. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be able to hold on to a lot of data and have it at his fingertips. Mm-hmm. He could be very frugal, conservative, mm-hmm. and his likes and his love. Mm-hmm. He would be interested in classic things. He would like lovely things. Mm-hmm. He could be very romantic. Mm-hmm. He uh work and groups of people <clears throat> and healing are all connected. Mm-hmm. Uh and he understands pain and heals groups from previous pain that he's had in his life mm-hmm. and heals these groups with work. Mm-hmm. Uh he would be a romantic poet, possibly mm-hmm. a songwriter, lots of imagination, fantasy, illusion uh the Martian and feminine are connected as uh, warlike things, and women are connected. Mm-hmm. He would have a conquering attitude mm-hmm. uh he has a philosophical, dogmatic element that he is stubborn about. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are lessons in communication, and that is connected to his career on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. He uses communication to nurture people.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
0: karma with leading. He has mm-hmm. a unique way of uh, going about education, intellectual things, and technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's power connected to education, mm-hmm. and he would be very stubborn. hmm uh, he is different, unique. Uh, he has a powerful relationship and a unique relationship to religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be more idealistic than pragmatic. Mm-hmm. He has a very—he uh, is very serious about his work of healing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people would see him as a stubborn dreamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, creative and inventive. He can tell a story. He can build dreams and achieve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be very protective of his community and very loyal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would fight injustices and heal people. Mm-hmm. He is a creative warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's stubborn. Uh, he could talk a blue streak. He might have a military career. He would be a creative communicator. And he is very confident, brazen.
2: Mm -hmm. Is
0: there anything that I've left out?
1: (laughs) That sounds good. That's an awful lot for me to put out there. I hope I'm close.
0: Are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? Yes,
1: I hope I know who it is.
0: This is the astrological birth chart of Booker T. Washington.
1: (gasps) Ooh! Oh, that's awesome oh i cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this i'm very excited
0: uh booker t washington uh at one time was uh the most well-known uh black man in america he was known around the world for the things that he was doing at the tuskegee institute in alabama mm. Uh, There is an entire era that is named after him in the study of black political and intellectual thought. Uh, That time period from the 1880s to 1915 is known as the Booker T. Washington era. Uh, He uh, was highly influential in his time uh, in regards to uh, African-American education uh, in the United States. Um, Booker T. Washington uh, was born in April of 1856 in Virginia uh his mother's name uh was jane uh but uh he does not know who his father was uh, jane uh was an enslaved woman uh working on a, the plantation of mm-hmm. a James Burroughs in virginia uh and it is likely uh that uh some the, what what they do know is that it was a, a white man mm-hmm. from another plantation who had come and uh had assaulted Jane. Mm. Uh, So he was born uh, into slavery in 1856 and would live uh, as uh, an enslaved uh, person to the Burroughs uh, plantation uh, until 1865. Uh, This gave him a unique view. Uh, He only lived his early life in slavery, but uh, enough of it to recognize what the system was. Uh, He talks about how uh, slavery, there's no family unit. He doesn't know who his uh, father is. Mm -hmm. Uh, He would see his mother uh, sometimes, but there's always work to be done. And that uh, the way that people would be fed uh, on the plantation was the same way that you would feed uh, scraps to an animal. Mm -hmm. There's no sitting down in a nuclear family and having a meal together and talking about your day. someone is always either in the fields or cooking or doing laundry there's no cohesive bond formed uh, among these people uh and uh, he also recognized what slavery did to the white Owners, uh, the masters, uh, that it warped uh, their minds Mm -hmm. and made them more violent uh, than they would naturally be. Mm -hmm. That it was a system that, uh, of course, injured and hurt his own people, um, but it injured all people. Mm Uh, He uh, remembered uh, very vividly uh, the day in 1865 uh, when one of the Union Army officers came to the plantation, uh, read the Emancipation Proclamation, and freed uh, the slaves on the Burroughs Plantation. Mm. Uh, He uh, didn't understand it all being nine years old, but he saw his mother crying tears of joy Mm. as she had been praying for this day to come, and it had now finally come. Uh, following emancipation, uh, the family would move to uh, the newly formed state of West Virginia. And uh, there, uh, Jane had a husband, uh, they were actually able to get married now, uh, named Washington Ferguson, and uh, he worked in the coal mines of West Virginia. Uh, Booker T. Washington uh, knew uh, how important education was, Uh, but He also understood that he did not get the same opportunities that others would uh, to be able to just go to school. He had to help the family. He had to work. Mm -hmm. So he made a deal with his father, Washington, and he said uh, that as long as I put in an eight hours of work in the coal mine, Mm -hmm. I can still go to school. Uh, And the father agreed. Mm. And so he would get up at three or four in the morning, Mm. go to the mines and work until 9 a.m. Then he would go to school. Then after school, he would go back to the mines. Oh, my gosh. Uh, So he was uh, able to still provide uh, for the family and get an education uh, by working uh, doubly as hard. Uh, He uh, would... uh, continue uh, working in this way until he had saved up enough money of his own uh, to go to the Hampton Institute Mm -hmm. Uh, the Hampton Institute was this new school that was being formed uh, further in the interior of Virginia uh, by a former Union uh, General Samuel Armstrong and it was uh, a school uh, to teach uh, the freedmen the uh, African American children uh, the basics uh, of education, reading and writing arithmetic uh, and and he had uh, saved up enough money to get halfway to the Institute on a wagon. <gasps> oh and so he did. And so he did. He got halfway through and he made it to Richmond and he stopped and he worked some more, but then he walked the rest of the oh way, which gosh. was 200 miles. <gasps> oh my gosh. To the Hampton Institute. Uh, Samuel Armstrong and the other teachers at the school were completely. Uh, completely amazed at uh, this young man's uh, capacity for knowledge, his uh, 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 determination Mm -hmm. uh, of of education and learning. And uh, by the time he graduated, uh, he uh, was at the very top of his class and he gave the commencement address uh, to uh, the rest of the students in Uh, The uh, Hampton Institute. Uh, He would then uh, leave and he went back uh, to uh, his family in West Virginia and he taught them what he had learned at the Institute. And so he became a teacher for them. Uh, and he also uh, worked for a little bit. He thought he, he went to a seminary and, and thought about becoming uh, a preacher, mm-hmm. but then decided that teaching was going to be what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, those at his former school were still so impressed with what he had done uh, that they had just gotten some uh, Native American students. Uh, and they decided they would have a uh, young uh, Booker T. Washington come in and teach these students. Uh, So uh, at the age of uh, 22, he is now a teacher in this institute. Uh, I I did. uh, I I skipped over one important part of the whole story, and that is his name. Uh, When he was first uh, born uh, and in the institution of slavery, there are no surnames. So he was not given a last name. Uh, So he was just known as Booker uh then once he was freed uh he decided to take on the name of his stepfather so his uh, father's name was washington ferguson so he became booker washington mm-hmm. and later on in his teens he had a conversation with his mother and his mother said that uh he that she had always wanted him to be named uh booker talia uh and uh Booker decided that that would then be his middle name, Uh, so he became uh, Booker Taliaferro Washington, and that's how he would be known for the rest of his life. Uh, So, uh, in his early 20s, he's working at the Hampton Institute, and there is uh, this uh, group of people, these financiers, who want to make a new school in Alabama. Uh, And they contact uh, Samuel Armstrong about building this new school to see who could be the principal, who could be the uh, director of this new school. And this was uh, something that Armstrong had done before, but all of these schools were always meant to be run by uh, a white teacher, uh, that it was going to be some educated white intellectual who Mm. would lead the school for poor African-American students. Mm -hmm. And Armstrong looked at uh, the people that he knew, and he knew that Booker T. Washington was the best man uh, to run this school. And so he selected Washington to go and found this new school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, all they had was the money. There was no land. There were no buildings. Uh, But at the age of 25, they said, sent booker t washington to tuskegee alabama mm-hmm. and uh, he had some money and he was able to buy a former plantation uh which i always just think is so amazing that it's it's what was the symbol uh, it was where slavery was uh, uh so uh, ingrained mm-hmm. it was the uh, and this was going to be turned around into this beacon of hope uh, in this new generation. Uh, So he takes the money and he buys this former plantation, and there are no buildings on it. Uh, So uh, he begins this uh, Tuskegee Institute, uh, and what they do is that it's part of the education to build the buildings. And not just build the buildings, but make the bricks. (gasps) So he's teaching the students to make the bricks, to design the building, to build the building uh so uh as these buildings start uh cropping up he get, he gets more and more students mm-hmm. he gets more and more benefactors to donate to the institute he's able to hire more uh teachers uh and uh he sees the opportunity that awaits uh for those who are working uh, and those who are uh trained in the trades uh, of building of making bricks of uh uh new farming techniques uh, and that is uh, what he chooses uh, to focus on at the Tuskegee Institute. Um, by uh, 1895, uh, the Tuskegee Institute uh, had been uh, well known uh, within uh, the South and within the nation as this uh, new place that these new ideas were being tried out. Uh, and it was time, uh, once again, for a great exposition in the United States, the uh, The last exposition was held in Chicago, and at that exposition, um, African-Americans were explicitly prohibited uh, from Mm -hmm. having any sort of booths or having any sort of demonstration of their skills. Uh, But uh, this new uh, exhibition was going to be in Atlanta, uh, and uh, Booker T. Washington campaigned uh, to make sure that African-Americans would be represented at this great exposition in Atlanta in 1895. Uh, And uh, not only uh, were African-Americans represented, uh, but Booker T. Washington is one of the men who gives one of the seminal speeches Mm -hmm. of the exposition. Uh, And this is one of the uh, most important speeches in American history. Uh, He is sharing a stage with uh, white uh, uh, intellectuals and uh, with uh, other organizers of the fair. Mm -hmm. And he gives this speech. And it's called the Atlanta Exposition Speech. Uh, And just to give you a context of the time, we are now uh, about 30 years removed from the Civil War. We're 20 years removed from Reconstruction. And a lot of the gains that were made uh, in Reconstruction are now being stripped away. Uh, So even though we have the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment uh, guaranteeing that there's no slavery, Mm -hmm. that African Americans have rights and can vote, Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, because Because of uh, things uh, of populist coalitions and old time Democrats wanting to break away Mm -hmm. these coalitions, uh, they start stripping away the rights of uh, these African-Americans, start segregating uh, from a government level uh, to try and uh, limit the rights uh, to try uh, and split uh, these people apart. Uh, And uh, violence is also a part of that, a vital component of the way of splitting these people up. And so there are massive lynchings going on Mm -hmm. throughout the South at this time as innocent black men are taken from their homes and strung up uh, uh, in... Horrible, violent acts that the entire community mm-hmm. comes together and watches and participates in. Mm-hmm. So, this is the canvas uh, for this exposition. And this uh, is also the time Frederick Douglass dies in this same year. He was sort of this uh, great, uh, uh, he was sort of the speaker mm-hmm. that everyone looked to uh, as the great black intellectual. Mm-hmm. And now the community is all looking for who that next person is going to be. Uh, so, this is all the things that are leading up to this speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, gives uh, this excellent speech, and there are two main components that come out of the speech. One of them is, he says, A cast down your bucket where you stand. Uh, there are black intellectuals who are saying that African-Americans need to leave the South. They need to abandon their communities. They need to go to the North. They need to go to Africa if they have Mm -hmm. to, to get away from the things that are going on in the South and all the violence that's going on there. And uh in this speech, he's saying that you have to stay in your community where you are and make it better. Mm-hmm. That is the work that we have to do together mm-hmm. uh, black and white working together to stop uh, all of this mm-hmm. um, uh, there are others who uh, start to, who would later on criticize Washington in this speech as as it being uh, that he's appeasing uh, these powerful white men uh, that he's telling them what they want to hear uh, that uh, he go- goes throughout the speech and talks about the way that slavery used to be and puts it in the language that white people would want to hear it as mm-hmm. that it was this paternalistic this family that we were all part of and we as black people were loyal to you as masters and you are looking out for us and we were looking out for you and we need to get back to this sentimental uh, uh, relationship that we once had um, I think that it's also very easy to say that he's saying that to play to their own arguments mm-hmm. because not only do you have the uh, some black intellectuals critiquing him, you also have a lot of virulent ugly bigoted racists yeah. were going after him uh and he's trying to appeal to them saying you're supposed to be the kinder people uh we need to get back to that and work together to build each other up mm-hmm. um and then he also says in the speech, this, this other uh, great component is, um, in all things, we can be, the blacks and whites can be separate as the fingers, yet one as the hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in social things, uh, we don't necessarily, uh, the two races didn't have to integrate. It didn't have to be as scary as these bigoted races would think that it would be to integrate. But when it came to great matters, we do need to be united altogether. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, uh, by supporters of Washington, would be known as the exhibition speech. By those who critique Washington, it would be known as the Atlanta Compromise, uh, that he is trying to give in uh, to what these uh, white uh, people are uh, trying to do in terms of segregation. Uh, But even in eighteen ninety five there weren 't a whole lot of these critics. Mm-hmm. Everyone around the african American community around the world saw this speech as uh, this great beacon of hope uh, and the things that he was doing at Tuskegee and teaching these trades and uh giving these uh, african American people economic prosperity mm-hmm. uh, uh, that uh, he was really lauded uh, for all of his efforts um, a lot of what his uh, ideas were hearken back to the founding fathers. Uh, He wanted to make sure that uh, these uh, poor sharecroppers who were locked into this dependency Mm -hmm. uh, uh, system where they were dependent on uh, these uh, white landowners to farm their land and then they would owe the landowners uh, a piece of their profits and they could never make up the difference Mm -hmm. be caught in this cycle of debt. He hearkened back to Jeffrey who said that the best thing uh, to preserve liberty is to be a yeoman farmer, to be your own uh, subsistence uh, farmer, mm-hmm. to grow your own things. That way you're not dependent on anyone. Mm-hmm. And that is what uh, Washington was trying to instill at the Tuskegee Institute uh, to uh, make uh, – he also – He's trying to show that through uh, this uh, um, through these efforts and and building the community up economically, that uh, these African-Americans, that the black people can prove their um, uh, their their uh, that black people uh, can uh, prove that they deserve to be treated equally, mm-hmm. that they can prove that they deserve to be given equal rights and anyone can look at this and say, well, nobody should have to do that. Nobody should have to prove that they deserve rights. These are rights that are given by God. Mm -hmm. These are rights that are given by, uh, nature, uh, that, that you should be treated equally. Um, and so there's a lot of criticism that comes from this, but he's looking at the world that he's in Mm -hmm. and he's seeing that a lot of these, uh, uh, racist politicians are saying that African Americans are lazy and that they don't, uh, uh, do work well if you now teach uh, the correct ways of working and make them even better workers than the white people mm-hmm. are then that you can't that that no longer has uh, any logical uh, thing to stand on uh, so he's looking at the time that he's living in and saying if we just work really hard and we do these great things, then it'll be self-evident. They can't deny us these things anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and this gets into some conflict with other black intellectuals like W.E.B. Du Bois, um, uh, and, uh, Trotter, who also are not in the South. They are in Chicago and in Massachusetts. So they're not seeing the exact same world that Washington was seeing at the time. Mm-hmm. um, uh... I, I'm always reminded uh, when I when I look into this, uh, again, going back to the appeal of the Founding Fathers, of um, something that, that John Adams said. And as uh, I was doing this research, I found another professor who connected Washington to this quote from Adams. So that made me feel good that I was on the right <laughs> track here. Uh, but John Adams uh, famously said that, I must study politics and war, that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and Philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Mm -hmm. what uh, Washington was doing at the Tuskegee Institute was that middle ground teaching the agriculture teaching the architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, then later on, you can teach the Greek and the philosophy. Uh, Other uh, black intellectuals like Du Bois were saying, no, you need to teach the intellectual parts, Uh, that philosophy is very important, uh, that political activism is very important, getting out in the streets, uh, protesting. These are things that are important, Uh, that the things that Washington are talking about are going to keep African-Americans in this lower status as workers. Uh, But it's really the intellectuals who move movements. Uh, He uh, believed, uh, Du Bois did in the talented 10th, that the 10th percentile of African Americans who go, and if they get to go to these intellectual institutions, will be the ones to pull the rest of the race out of the uh, conditions that they were in uh he the uh, boys would uh, talk about uh, that the greatest thing in the world would be for a sharecropper's son to have a, a french grammar book uh so that they could then enlighten their minds uh and and get themselves out of that condition washington on the other hand saw it that those things were Useless, really, that you don't need to know philosophy and Greek when you don't have a home, mm-hmm. when you don't have a house, uh, when you don't have your own farm. Uh, so uh, it really is this great friction that uh, 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 goes throughout the time. And it's a major reason why Washington starts to get forgotten throughout the rest of the 20th century as more people start siding with Du Bois mm-hmm. and this call for activism and this call for um Intellectualizing mm-hmm. things. Um, as uh, Washington's legacy uh, fades in the 20th century, it is the professors who teach this era. And the professors like to talk about the professor, W.E.B. Du Bois, who's talking about how great it is to be a professor and to go to mm-hmm. academia. Whereas Washington was really focused on uh, getting uh, those uh, middle needs met of architecture and agriculture. Um, so, uh, 1895, he is, uh, known as, uh, one of the great intellectuals of his time. Uh, a few years later, the president, uh, President William McKinley, visits the Tuskegee Institute. Uh, this was a huge thing to have the sitting president visit this African American school in the middle of Alabama. Um, and then in 1901, uh, he, uh, Washington writes Up from Slavery. And this is a short little book, but it it means so much. It is his memoir Mm -hmm. of his life uh, as a slave and then how he uh, uh, what happened to him after he was freed and then starting the Tuskegee Institute. Uh, And uh, this, again, uh, brought him back to national acclaim. So much so that in October of 1901, the then uh, president, Teddy Roosevelt, invited Booker T. Washington to dinner at the White House. Uh, This was huge to have an invitation to this african-american man to come into the presidential mansion and not only that to bring his family and to dine with the Mm. president's family um this received a massive amount of criticism, mm. uh, especially uh, from uh, those uh, bigoted uh, uh, politicians in the south uh, there were calls for uh, uh, that it would take a thousand lynchings to get black people back into their place after the indignity of having this black man in the White mm. House and it was so much criticism that Teddy Roosevelt never had another African American to the White House and no President would for many years afterwards. Wow. Um in uh, a lot of this time and this the this uh, uh the the criticism that was felt by these bigoted politicians really shows where washington stood that washington was in the middle he was in the middle of these uh you know the the black intellectual activists to the left and these uh hard uh bigoted uh, uh white politicians to the right and he just stood in the middle and tried to navigate what was best uh for his people mm-hmm. uh during all this time uh in 1915, uh, 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 he uh, would end up uh, collapsing. Uh, he uh, had uh, uh, an episode, and uh, when the, when you see the doctor's notes, it shows that his blood pressure is two times normal. Ooh, no. uh, that he had a high blood pressure, and that he was just overworked. Mm. Uh, he collapsed in New York uh, in November, and made it back to Tuskegee Institute, uh, and then he died on November 14th of 1915. Mm. By the time that he died, the Tuskegee Institute had an endowment of $2 million. (gasps) That is worth $53.6 million today. Uh, at that, just that moment, it had 1,500 students. It had 200 faculty, 38 uh, tracks, and uh, the they were, uh, uh, they had over 100 buildings, and uh, 97 of them were built by the students themselves uh, with their own hands oh, and built the bricks to build the, those buildings. Uh, through uh, his uh, work with the other white industrialists like Carnegie and Rosenwald, uh, he was able to get African-American schools throughout the South. Uh, so Rosenwald schools, Rosenwald uh, was an early investor in the Sears Roebuck store, and uh, he had a great relationship with Booker T. Washington. Uh, so uh, at the time of Washington's death, uh, the Rosenwald schools had a fund of $4 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, there were 4900 177 schools built, uh, 217 homes for students, uh, 163 shop buildings to teach, uh, metal shop and and wood shop, um, over 15 states. Um, This is the great and lasting legacy of Booker T. Washington, Mm -hmm. to have come from his so humble beginnings as born into bondage, um, to rise to this area where he is able to educate thousands and thousands of people who otherwise would not have gotten an education and was able to pull uh, their communities uh, out at least a little bit uh, from uh, the hardships uh, that they were in. Uh, So uh, truly a a fascinating and remarkable man, and uh, I think that a lot of this chart bears out uh, to who he was. Um, I think that... um, the Healing, uh, healing groups of people Mm -hmm. through work, literally work, uh, that that uh, agriculture and architecture and building things um, work uh, was the way to heal the community because slavery had degraded what work was Mm -hmm. Uh, in the South. uh, It had made. Blacks and whites both think that work was for people who were subhuman and his job in the Institute was to show people the dignity of work and working with your own hands. And so literally to heal people, heal groups of people through work as absolutely what um, the legacy of Booker T. Washington is.
1: That's so beautiful. I love it when you bring these people to life and especially for our listeners who meet, I I mean, people um, in Ireland and England and all over the world who might not know who Booker T. Washington is because he's part of American history, you know, and here you have these wonderful people that you bring to life, just like you bring the Irish people to other parts of the world. And here you've brought this incredible, innovative fabulous man to life for people. I'm very proud of you Chandler. It's very beautiful and it makes me cry.
0: Well, are there uh, any other things about the chart that uh, make more sense now that you know who it is? Well,
1: yes, a lot makes more sense. Um, Clearly he used his creativity in, even though um, all, you know, this Pisces, he's got his Saturn in, um, I don't normally do these aspects, but his Saturn is at 24 degrees Gemini, right? Which is squaring his, uh, Mercury at 26 and Jupiter at 22 and also all of all of his Pisces. So a lot of times people will say that a square is, uh, difficult, but in this situation, I, I often see squares as lending energy to like bringing, you know, it's like, it's like, compressing this, like you have to do this, you know, but, um, clearly that his ability to dance around and through these subjects to where he could get, where he needed to go for his people to heal his people, you know, and Mm -hmm. this Mars in Libra, the justice, he wanted the justice and, and, and understanding, you know, uh, understanding the, the, um, the side of this where you have you know French vocabulary and grammar uh, is beautiful and lovely and and very intellectual but if you don't have a house where you you know where are you going to study this and it just um, you know and having the drive that north node in Aries that drive and you know his moon and his sun in Aries that the drive and the stamina with all of I mean I knew when I was looking at this chart it was like this is an amazing person i don't know who it is i would like them very much and i had no idea who it was and i was hoping all of this was good and it is all of it is good you know and and you know the world is a better place because of this man you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh no i think uh uh when looking at a lot of people looking from the outside say that he was pragmatic, mm-hmm. that he was a person who would balance things out and kind of uh, let things um, he, he he didn't believe in in wild activism and protests. And mm. A lot of people associate that with a more idealistic view oh. that he was someone mm. who was trying to uh, uh, keep uh, keep his head down to to a certain degree. Mm. But. There are a lot of things that he did that he just didn't want credit for. Right. Uh, so there were, um, there were times when lynch mobs would come into Tuskegee and looking for certain students. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would tell them, uh, go, go and try and find them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, all the while, he had kept them safe mm-hmm. and gotten them out. Mm-hmm. But to the outward appearance, it looks like he doesn't care. Right. Uh, And so he would be written about in these newspapers as if he didn't care Mm -hmm. uh, about these students, but they didn't find him. Uh, So he was he and he was always someone who if he could make something work behind the scenes and not get credit Mm -hmm. for it, he was completely willing to do Mm -hmm. that for the greater good of the Institute Mm -hmm. of the Tuskegee
2: Institute. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, So uh, I think he he was idealistic. He just uh, wasn't. The same kind of idealistic that um, others might expect him to be. right? Um, but he was always working towards the goal, whether it was in front or behind uh, closed doors.
1: Right. And see, I see that uh, as idealistic. I, mm-hmm. I see that he is he was so smart and so creative. In how he was going to figure it out, you know. And that takes that's artful, you know, <laughs> that's like mm-hmm. the artful dodger, you know. Mm-hmm. I see him as capable of 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 creatively figuring it out, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever the greater good was. If, you know, that um I, I just I think he was absolutely amazing. And uh his chart absolutely shows how brilliant and amazing he was and how how he took the creative side of him and made that work through stamina and 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 passion and and his you know healing of the people it's just amazing it's really one of it's one of my favorite charts that I've ever done <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, I think on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, this one is definitely right (laughs) on the money. This is uh, who uh, Booker uh, Taliaferro Washington
1: was. (laughs) I love it. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful.
0: Uh, Well, that uh, wraps up this edition of History in Retrograde. I'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to uh, reach out and support the show, we have the links provided uh, to all of our social media uh, in the uh, show description. Uh, we also have a link there to our PayPal account. Every little bit helps us in making a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, also, if you would like to be your very own Mystery History guest, we can make that happen. Uh, so uh, just reach out to Chandler's Mom at historyandretrograde.com, and uh, Mom can get with you and go over the details. Tales of how to uh, have her read your chart. Um. Also, uh, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, we've had it for a while, but now it has actual videos on it. Uh, so uh, Mom has been hard at work. Uh, getting uh, if uh, th- those those first episodes from season <laughs> one are now uh slowly starting to go uh, up onto the channel. So if you want to uh, visit back, uh, hear some how how much we've progressed in the last three years. Uh, you can uh go and hear uh Nostradamus and Eleanor of Aquitaine and I'm sure uh, many more will be up there uh, by the time uh, that you're hearing this. Yes. Uh, Mom is there uh, anything else you'd like to add? Yes
1: and it's really fun because um, I uh, the shorts, just the shorts are like getting like 700 views like just all of a sudden so if you haven't already please if you love the show go to YouTube and subscribe and like and share the videos because it's just going to bring in more people who can get get more information. And I would like to say that... I- <laughs> I'm actually going through and correcting myself. Apparently, sometimes I just get going on a topic and I think I'm looking at uh, Pisces, but I'm actually looking at Scorpio. So I will be correcting these things in the video so you can get a better idea of what went on there. And I'm having a great time and people are contacting me uh, for readings. And that's very fun because there's a whole new group of people. I, I do love talking to you guys. I really do and uh you know i love hearing from people that i've done their chart or i've done their transits and i'm like telling them this is what's coming up this is what's going to happen in the next six months and they email me and go oh my goodness that actually happened and i'm like yeah it was in your chart <laughs> so that's a lot of fun so uh just you know if you can't remember the email just go to historyandretrograde.com, and you can get the links to go to everywhere from there
0: Uh, Yes, and so uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine.
1: Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.